page fright is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Thank you to our hosts. Hello and welcome back to Page Fright. This is the only literary podcast on the internet that I host. My name is Andrew French. I write under a W French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French. This is an incredible interview. I had a really good time talking to Aiden Chafe, who is the author behind Short Histories of Light. It's one of my favorite books to come out in the past little while. It's from McGill Queens University Press and it's dark, but it's beautiful. The language is outstanding. The content speaks for itself. It is incredibly personal. And for me to be able to sit in a room and hear Aiden read, just for me, from one of my favorite books was incredible. So really exciting stuff. If you like the interview, then I suggest you check out more of Aiden's stuff. He's on Twitter at allegorically. So one of the best writer Twitter handles you will ever find. And yeah, I really can't recommend this guy's work enough. Without further ado, why don't we jump right in and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm here with Aiden Chafe. Aiden is a public school teacher and the author of Short Histories of Light from McGill and Queen's University Press. He also has two chapbooks out, Right Hand Hymns from Frog Hollow and Sharpest Tooth from Anstruther. He lives in Burnaby, BC. Aiden, how's it going? It's really good. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for coming. I was recommended your book in a poetry workshop I took, and it was not like... I'm in a bunch of poetry classes. I, okay, cool. I'm doing my MA in pretty much contemporary Canadian poetry, so I get a lot of this stuff. Uh, but this was a creative writing class, which I'd never taken before. So I took it. They assigned books to everybody based on what they're into. I got assigned yours. So awesome. picked it up, read the first couple pages, and was like, yeah, this is okay, but I'm going to put it down for a little bit. So I left it for a couple weeks. <laughs> Big mistake, because I picked it up again a few weeks later after the course ended and I had some time. About two hours, I was done the book. And then I've reread it like three times since. That's great. Awesome. This is insane. I okay. <laughs> I love this book. I really do. Thank you. Uh, no, if you that's, haven't that's read me. Short Histories of Light, which is what we're both holding a copy of right now, you need to. I've got flags all over this thing. Uh, I've got everything underlined and annotated. It's, it's beautiful. It's a really good book. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm speechless for, for you just saying that. That's, no. Uh, that means a lot. Thank this, you. This was <laughs> really good. Uh, it's a tearjerker. It pulls on the heartstrings. But... The language is beautiful, and everything within it is so well put. Uh, I just I don't even know where to start. Uh, where where does this book come from? Um, it comes from many many places. Um, but I think at the core of it, it comes from a sense of struggle. Um, struggle with regards to to dealing with um, questions that are unanswered. Uh, with regards to theology and also just to struggle with with mental illness um, and once one realizes one has mental illness where where it is where do you go from there uh, and so uh, for for me it's um, that was it right I had a few couples there's two two levels there like a struggle with myself my identity with mental illness um, and and kind of trying to find the answers there but also the struggle with um, religion, and that was another thing that I was kind of born into. So again, these two things that kind of 
um, are part of my life. We, 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 and early on, uh, they were there, uh, you know, at the forefront, which was um, uh, both my uh, my father and my grandmother um, had had you know fairly extreme forms of, of mental illness, and that was that was kind of um, something that was there. But also the fact that um, I would attend church every Sunday, yeah. And there was a sort of, and I also went to to Catholic school for the first couple of years of my life. And there was like a bit of a, a, a disconnection or, or just sort of disjointed kind of feeling there for me. Yeah, I, I mean, all of this comes across in the book. I think there's a lot of people whose work you can read and it's very distant from their personal life. But this seems to me to be very it's, it's a personal text. When I read this, I feel like I kind of know you when you walk into the booth here a little bit or, or some parts of your life. And certainly the theology and the mental illness are, are prevalent throughout the text. So if these are of any interest to, to you as a reader, uh, if you're listening to this, this is a book that I recommend kind of regardless of what you're interested in, but especially if you're interested in those things. And if you don't believe me, then maybe we can get Aiden to give us a reading to start things off here. Does that sound good? Sure. Now yeah, sounds great. All right. Um, I'll read the first poem. Okay. And this one's called Thetis. My father, greatest swimmer, swam in the ocean of grandma's womb for nine months before opening his eyes to the sun. Nurses ran water over him, a baptism so he could teach Grandpa to search for more than a bottle. Grandpa held my father, confirmed his genes inside his heavy hands, while Grandma hushed the animal inside him to sleep. Before the sky fell, she held my father's chest below water, bathed his body until the thought of Achilles drowned. So cool. I, I mean, so much is going on. The last couple lines there let me open up and take a look yeah before the sky fell at the end holding the chest below the water and that idea of bathing achilles it's just so much is going on yeah. uh was this a poem that came from a specific instance for you or was this kind of just recalling memories and stuff and trying to right. generate something yeah no so um so so uh process for this poem too was interesting like i i had I'd felt at a certain point in my life, my 20s, that I'd been betrayed a little bit because I hadn't been given the kind of information that I that I guess in some ways I, I was sort of angry at my father a little bit about. Um, although, you know, I didn't really address it to him that much because, uh, you know, even in my 20s, my father was still kind of having, having uh, didn't always have a, uh, a, the greatest of grasp on, on his mental illness. And so not grasp of it, but just sort of being able to live with it. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't too hard on him in that sense. But I think part of my issue was that um, there is a mythology that happens around your parents, depending on how much they disclose to you. And so I think you using sort of mythology as a background, I kind of shaped this narrative from uh, this very loose narrative, which is in fact kind of a bit mythological in, in, in itself to, to uh, you know, about Achilles and, and connecting and, and making the connection with my father mm -hmm. to sort of like piece out an idea of what I was trying to sort of find out about him and, and, and him growing up. And, and um, you know, it sort of talks about obviously his, uh, alludes to his, to um, my grandfather who was an alcoholic. And so it's my grandmother and just sort of that, that sort of uh, also that idea of, of, of what makes one also resilient because my father's also very resilient in terms of um, uh, where he grew up and how he grew up. Totally. Yeah, that's so, so cool. So, so many of these poems are coming out of growing up and, and dealing kind of with adolescence and confronting a loss of innocence. Mm. I, I mean, you get the image of the sky falling in that first poem. I think that's very appropriate. So when you're growing up, were you writing it all? Or was this something that just kind of emerged afterwards? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I never grew up as a writer. Actually, I was a, I was a terrible writer in high school. Um, <laughs> and I feel like it, my my coming to poetry and coming to writing is is probably a lot different than than a lot of people's. However, I when I talk to people, it's surprising how many people say, you know, you know what? I had something similar happen in my 20s. So I really came to writing my 20s. And, and f- you know, when I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I didn't really have any ideas after high school. And so I kind of dabbled in kinesiology, but then I quickly realized that I wasn't, that wasn't kind of my mindset, my brain, and wasn't kind of oriented towards the sciences. So uh, or didn't gravitate towards the sciences, so I went into English literature, and that's why I started writing poetry. I was a lot of bad poetry, a lot of bad poetry. Yeah. And then I kind of stopped, and then in my late twenties, um, I really had a, a big struggle with depression, and the writing really helped me get out of it, or helped me through that. And that's where uh, a lot of these poems came from. Uh, they came, they came out of you know the first drafts really came around my late twenties, um, and came out of. Uh, you know, thinking about myself and taking a good long look at who I was as as a young adult and and where I was going and and if I was going to to even move forward and and at some points even survive. Like, what was you know what sort of things that I want answered? And I think poetry is a really good way to to not only sort of um, uh, you know get those thoughts and ideas on the page, but also ask those questions. Yeah. And so I was kind of doing and doing that. So no, I never wrote. Uh, long answer uh, no 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 love it <laughs> um never wrote when i was in high school um but i was very fascinated by english and i i did have a knack for it and I, I found that was the right pursuit at the end of the day in university but um poetry really only i've only been writing seriously for probably about eight or nine years now this is so cool so i don't know if i'll even put this in the podcast but i should say that it's really cool because i uh i find a lot of similarities my own experiences to what you've just said in that uh, similarly, very little interest in English in high school, went to business school, switched to English lit, started writing poems, went through a period of depression, and then came sort of out of that period and took poetry really seriously. Weird. that it, I don't know. To me, that like when you were talking, I was like, oh, shit, that's a lot of similarities. So, yeah, cool. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, seems, cool. it seems like a pretty similar story, too, for like a lot of people. It, it seems to be that poetry gets a lot of people through really dark times in their lives serves a therapeutic role. You know, there's something about this that people gravitate towards poetry specifically, it seems more than writing in general, almost. Is there something about that sort of like form, maybe, do you think? Like, or late, maybe even a better question is what makes you choose poetry to, to write in? Yeah, uh, I think there's two ways to answer that. So for me personally, I think it works well because I've always been a bit like, tangential and I've never been one to really to sustain attention towards one topic uh, and if I look at my course of my life I've kind of dabbled in a lot of things so when it comes to writing on a theme or an idea I usually kind of write it down and then I'm like when I come back I'm like oh I have this other idea and so for me you know creating these kind of like these taking one idea and then another idea just fit well for poetry um, but it also at the emotional level, I mean, poetry kind of just asks you to, to throw a lot of your emotions on the page, um, and then sort them out and then figure out what you want to do with them. And that's a lot different than prose. Um, so for me, uh, it's been a lot of that just because, um, you know, I found that writing an idea was, was a lot easier to deal with. Um, and I think it's hard. I think it's really hard to write, uh, nonfiction and fiction. I think it's, I mean, I, for one, think it's a lot more difficult than writing poetry, um, 
but again it's it's i think it's a lot of a lot of that writing has a different agenda and serves a different purpose um and so i guess that's that's kind of that's kind of it as well uh and then the one thing about poetry is that i really like is that it also asks i think um a lot of the reader a lot of it asks the reader to to be creative and to be flexible and also to fill in the blanks and that i think in some ways if you read a really good a really good um uh you know somebody that's such has such a strong grasp of 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 of, of craft um they almost do everything for you and you're kind of just blown away by their brilliance but um poetry sometimes does encourage uh this kind of this um you know, you're going to come alongside me and we're going to kind of like, you're going to have to piece some of this together for yourself. Totally. Particularly if you want to make some meaning and make it personal. Yeah, I like this idea. So there's a lot of kind of the interpretive work being put onto the reader, I think, with poems that that definitely, I think, suits the way that you write in that it's, it is very personal and it brings the reader into that world that you're sort of writing from. Uh, it's, it's quite effective. So I really do like that. Um, I think there's something really strong about yeah, I just, I don't know how you could write, you know, this book in any other form. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Um, one of the questions I want to know, too, is um, I tutor kids, so I, I work with a lot of, like, younger children. You're a high school teacher, is that right? Yes, I am, yeah. Yeah, so how do you find your writing uh, has changed the way that you teach, or has it influenced the way that you teach at all? Yeah, yeah, you know... Um, I have this conversation a lot with with both my 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 wife and and a lot of my colleagues. Um, although uh, it's interesting, um, I think when you when you understand how difficult it is to write something, I become more kind of uh, you know em empathic for for my towards my students and with my <laughs> students because I realize that um, as teachers, I think sometimes we forget how difficult it is not just to be an adolescent, but even just to do the activity or work on the skill that we're asking them to do. And I think that sometimes, well, I think a lot of times we lose sight of that fact. And we also kind of get a little bit, um, you know, we get kind of frustrated because, you know, we, there's a big time gap and we got to we got to sort of assess and mark all these things that we just kind of throw a lot of workload onto students without really thinking about like the finer details of what am I trying? What am I trying to get them to do? How difficult is it doing this process? And is this the right way in which we can actually work on this skill set? So. Um, for me, when it comes to creative writing and even essay writing, I kind of think a lot differently now. Um, I'm very cognizant of the time and effort and actually really the um, how, how necessary uh, good feedback is and also how necessary the idea of a rewrite is. Because um, when I was in high school, like I never got an opportunity to write something a second time. And now as somebody that has been fortunate enough to have my, I've been fortunate to have my work published. I mean, I had to write like, you know, like a, like a, a like a 15 line poem, probably like I would say you go over like at least like seven or eight revisions. Yeah. And you know, those, some of those revisions required feedback from multiple people and it wasn't just myself going back and, and editing them. And that's kind of lost in, in the idea and process of writing in high school. Totally. And so I think I, I really try to, to sort of give my my students more um, space and time to to do that, but I also have to then teach that, and and that's a skill that uh, I wouldn't have necessarily taught, I don't think, if I hadn't been a writer in the first place. Totally, yeah, and I, I think that idea of appreciating the craft a little bit more too, as a as a writer, 
I, I feel that in, in the sense that that's influenced the way that I read too. Do you find that as well? Like when you're reading things yeah. now, do you have a greater appreciation for things? Yeah, I'm also, but it's funny. I, when I read students work, I, I kind of take off that a little bit of my, my judge, my, my judgmental phase, which, which definitely right. goes on when I'm reading say Canlit or a lot of my, my favorite contemporary American writers. Um, but yeah, no, I, you're definitely, I'm definitely thinking about that too, particularly when it comes to feedback. Cause I could say, Hey, you know, um, let's try to like come up with like, yeah, that seems like you know that metaphor i see where you're going there but let's maybe try to make it something more personal or something and then you realize oh they're like okay well instead of saying this you can use you know your like what would you say because oftentimes yeah. i think that in high school like and i was the same way i just thought i wanted to reflect what my teachers wanted to me to to write and what that was is actually kind of well first of all it could be plagiarism <laughs> that's <laughs> you kind of lead on to plagiarism but that's oftentimes true. it's very cliche or it's very yes. you know it's it's very familiar and you you don't want that that's not good writing and i think that's kind of the thing that we we don't teach students and actually i think a lot of students probably leave high school saying you know if you, you ask them the question hey what's good writing they're like oh something that we read in a book that's right and then you're like okay well let's get let's get past that, that sure and then they would say well if i could write exactly what that person's writing then that would be good writing but in fact you're not trying to m copy that person word for word you're actually trying to somehow have all the skill set that they have and cr and make it your own and that part is really hard to kind of communicate to students um, because they are and oftentimes in other subjects they're just asked to to mimic um, yeah. the content, the idea, everything back to you. So it's this is kind of like, um, you know, this, uh, you know, just playing catch back and forth where, you know, sometimes I, I give them a skill. I'm like, here, catch. And then I'm like, <laughs> go play. Yeah. And then figure it out. And they come back and they want something totally different. And they don't realize that's actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, cause they just want to kind of just come up with as many cliches and idioms and expressions they've heard, throw it on the page. And they're like, that's cool. And, I have to say, like, no, no, that's not cool. That's those are somebody else's ideas. You've just done a really good job of piecing them together. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely another thing I, I kind of yeah. And I don't know it. that that goes away too. The idea of reading something and being like, oh, if I could write like this, wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Or or whatever. I mean, I still do that uh, for better or worse. You know, I think sure. that's still yeah. part of being a reader and being a writer to an yeah. extent. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, you're right. And I think I think you can never get away from that because I think like I often find I oftentimes find myself writing things that are very similar to other poets, and I'm like ah, because I'm like, right. It's probably because I was reading that poet a yeah, lot, or yeah. I, I read like I was so like just you know just just blown away by their writing that I just re read you know three of their their books, and it, that's that's in my brain. And so when I'm then sitting down to write, it's not it's not it, I'm so influenced by that material. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's okay. Uh, but, you know, it's when I'm starting to just, you know, purposely go out and just like take and, put yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, because then you get into all these uh, sort of other ideas. But it's okay to to emulate that form, right? That's right. To take a certain way of writing, to take a way of approaching a metaphor and trying to then just like put the pieces in for your own life or your own kind of idea in that moment. And that's fine. So, mm -hmm. you know, imitation is this kind of interesting art because it's kind of necessary, but it's also, you know, you're at the same time, you're kind of walking this tightrope. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's very fascinating. Good yeah. jumping off point at the very least. Hey, to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Great for way to sure. get started. Yeah. Um, so I also brought you a book. 
Okay. So this is part of this podcast. Um, cool. I actually had one sitting at home that I think I will have to use for another guest now because I forgot it. So it's <laughs> on my way here, and I went to the Salvation Army and picked up All right. today's mystery book, which is 49th <clears throat> Parallel Psalm by Wade Compton. Okay. Which was a great Salvation Army find. Like yeah, This you... was 99 cents. How do you beat that? You're kidding. No, this is insane. I've been told by actually, I think somebody that was on your first one of your first podcasts is by Shazia yeah. to read this. Oh, no so kidding. Like, yeah. So I'm, I need to definitely read this at one point because I, because I, we had this conversation about can let poets and she's like, you got to read Wade. And I, I know I've she knows always, Wade Compton. Yeah. I've always kind of read some of Wade's work, but she's like, you got to read 40 Parallel, Parallel Psalm. And so well, there, here I am. Reading that's it. wild. I literally <laughs> just picked it up because it was like, oh, Vancouver and religion ticks the eight inboxes. I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. So there you are. That's so funny. Uh, well, glad I could get a good pick for you. So. Yeah, this is a great pick. <laughs> um, I, I feel bad for Wade for me reading reading his stuff, though. I'm sure it, I, I won't be doing oh, it justice, no, but I'll, no. I'll do it again. So am I supposed to read like anything? Literally whatever you want. Uh, so I'm just picking uh, this. It's the Commodore. And you know what? Um, I've been to the Commodore and this might be talking about the Commodore ballroom. We'll see. The Commodore. From Pacific and Folsom Wharf in SF, 35 left, full of fathoming, on the run, the San Francisco Victoria run, in the hold, afloat, and hovering, over the hull and ahoy, in limbo, baleful, on deck, under the night's moon, ahoy, overboard, the ribs creaking, avast, under cover of darkness, the steamer, the Commodore carries 35 black arrivants aimed at the colony of Vancouver's island, and I, over the railing, deliver my interior to the sea, my inward debt, my survivor's agony of dreams, my soul spins, I step on deck, but my feet miss the rhythm, I steal to the hold, my room full of mirrors, my huddled brothers, our pioneer committee, Vomiting from the depths of her ancestry, no one sleeps. Very cool. Very cool. Any first reactions to the poem? Uh, well, I didn't read all of it. I realized it's going on a few pages, but <laughs> my <enough>. first reaction <laughs> is I got it completely wrong. So I, 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 I like the historical aspect about the com the Commodore and yeah. how it kind of brings yeah. back to, to, to Wade. Wade. Wade is great at informing us about a lot of the black history in Canada, and particularly in Vancouver and in British Columbia. Um, so, uh, I like that. I like that. Cause yeah. I, I think what, one of the things I do like about a title is if it's, it, there's so many titles in, in poems, cause usually a collection oftentimes has somewhere from like, you know, 20 to, to 60 or 70 poems in it that, you know, we forget sometimes the significance of a title and yeah. there's, there's oftentimes good titles and there's a lot of bad titles. So that, how do you write that's a, a good title? title? How does it, how does it happen? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't like, I know I don't always write it well, but sometimes I do. Um, I think you knock them out of the park. Oh, really? Your titles? Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No they're, no, they're like a part. I was thinking on my way over here, like, man, if I could title a project something, wouldn't it be Short Histories of Light? What a great name. I think I, I literally name dropped the book to somebody too. Uh, it might have been a friend or somebody totally unfamiliar to, to poetry. And they were like, oh, that's a great name for a book. Okay. So thank, thank you. you to that yeah. random friend. Uh, but really good. And a lot of them are really straightforward titles, uh, but there are many that are quite clever and and really well thought out and it just makes sense and i have always been horrible at writing titles okay <laughs> so what what's the what's the trick um i don't know if there is one really i i mean it's hard because i think that's where feedback comes into play as well i mean that book 
I had some titles, different titles for, for, for that. Right. Like, and, and sometimes, sometimes it is for me, it's, it's like always get to the heart of the matter. And so oftentimes my poems do take on just one word titles because my original title would have been just, you know, I was trying to be either way too clever or, um, I just didn't really know what the poem was about or the title wouldn't really talk about the poem per se. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was real, uh, not really a connection. Um, like I remember, um, for one of my chat books that came out, um, the title end up, the title of the, the book was right hand hymns. Mm-hmm. And I had this really long title, like, I just can't remember the title. And it was like really, really long. And like, <laughs> I remember Shane's just like, just let's make it short, short snappy. And, yeah. and, um, and I keep on remembering, like, I keep going back to like Alanis Morissette, which is really, really funny. And she had like these, these, and uh, Fiona Apple in the nineties had these really long titles of stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just a, like a fad thing too, because sometimes I read poetry and I'm like, depending on the year, I'm like, oh yeah, sometimes titles that are really long are kind of in vogue and then um, yeah. sometimes short ones are. But then I realized, no, 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 that's really, that's kind of like, you don't think about that. So that's the sort of pretentious nature of it. So I realized, okay, well, I almost had to read the poems and then think, what will the title be? Because yeah, when you're writing yeah. a poem, you don't really think about it. You're like, okay, the title will be this. Or like, what's really clever for a title? But you're not actually engaging with the poem. You're doing something different. You're trying to do this kind of like this, this, like this, I don't know, like this, this exercise in, in how smart you are. And you realize that's actually disingenuous. And you, you, you know, you go to an editor and you show them that and they're like, well, let's just make it this. And you're like, right. Okay. (laughs) That's actually what the poem's about. Yeah. It's, it's easy. I think when you're writing something to lose track of what the essence of that project actually is. And I think a lot of the times transforming yourself into being your own reader to create the title can be a really useful process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you actually come out with a good title is another thing. As I say, I don't have much luck, but for most people, I think you can read your own work, try to separate yourself as much as you can from it, which is always going to be difficult and then come out with a, with a strong title. Mm-hmm. This is one of the difficulties of being a writer and kind of leads into the question from our last guest. So our last guest was Hannah McReady from, she's one of the first readers at Event Magazine um, for poetry. And she is wondering what the biggest lie you have heard about being a writer is. The biggest lie that I've ever heard about being a writer is. um, That writers are naturally gifted. That there's something innately gifted about writers that they just have this wordplay and this diction that just far surpasses maybe the average person. Um, and that's just not true. Uh, I mean, as I spoke earlier on the podcast, like I didn't, I didn't really consider myself a writer. And in some ways I, I don't consider myself a writer, mm-hmm. um, which is very contradictory. Of course, I'm a writer, but <laughs> sometimes I don't because like I'm not always I'm not always in that mindset. And when I say that, I've talked to a lot of like fiction writers. I've talked to other poets and they're like, yeah, like, like I have to do it every day. Or it's like just always been a part of me. And I'm like, you know, it's very interesting. It hasn't always been a part of me. It's become a part of me. It served a purpose for sure while I was depressed and I, re- I was really struggling with some bigger questions in my life that I felt like they're either not being answered, not being answered like truthfully or that um, I just kind of wanted to explore and I couldn't talk to anybody about because nobody really wanted to talk about those things. Um, and so they served a purpose there. But I would say that now, I mean, I, 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 I could probably safely leave poetry uh, for a long period of time if I needed to, um, and I could pick it up again. 
But I think when I hear about some people and their relationship to it, it's like it's so entwined in, in who they are. And I think that's uh, that's so amazing and so genuine. But I, I couldn't say I feel that way. I, I mean, I, I think it's not to say that I'm not going to write and try to write another book. It's just that um, I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to like just sort of always be thinking about writing. Yeah, totally. And I think it's easy too, especially for a lot of people. And, and when you get involved in a community, I think I'm slowly starting to get more and more immersed in the Vancouver writing community. It's hard not to be reading all the time too, because people that you've met or know through a friend or whatever are putting books out all the time. It's it's yeah. hard to avoid. And so you're always reading, which always, sure. at least for me, gets me thinking about writing. So seems for you, you have an ability at least to unplug from that and, and distance yourself. Yeah, but it's funny. I need some people to tell me to unplug. Um, I think that's part of my nature is to kind of do something compulsively to a point where I just kind of go down that rabbit hole. So I realized that for me, um, in order for, for my life with everything around it to be stable and to be healthy, I need to just step back from it. Um, and I, I, it's funny you say that because like um, I was very fortunate to have dinner with um, this very, very, he's a very talented American poet named Eduardo Corral. And he's oh, only cool. he's only written one book, and it's amazing to me that he hasn't written anymore. Because I think his first book was like in twenty two thousand eight or twenty twelve or something. Oh wow! It's been a long, been like almost ten years. Yeah. And he, I asked him like, how much do you write then? You know, because his his new book's coming out um, next year, which of course is going to be highly anticipated. But he's like maybe two poems a year. What like, a year! Two poems a year. Holy. And I said that's incredible. And and he said, yeah, I just kind of they have to sort of come. And I sort of, I'm a servant to the language. And I really loved what he said there because uh, there is this kind of feeling too for uh, probably a lot of young writers, and I'm, I'm, I'm not an exception, where we feel like, oh, you have this idea of ambition once you get your first book out or, and that you have to like, you know, publish or perish, which is, which is often a term used for professors. Um, and I don't know. I think I think once you get to that point, you you kind of fall into that trap of like, well, what am I putting out there? And is this authentic? Is this good? Um, you know, and 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 is this the kind of stuff that I would be really proud about, you know, 10, 20 years? Or was this something that I just kind of did, you know, like those those artists that have those those kind of that first the first hit success. And then they just, you know, they want their their um, the record label wants them to put something out as quick as possible. Yeah. And and I, I like when an, another poet can like kind of you know, say that and somebody that's very well accomplished and some of you, I would totally want to, 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 to some ways, you know, emulate, emulate their ability to, to, um, uh, to communicate in their, in their words that says that that's like, Hey, listen, you know, like maybe, maybe step back, maybe wait until it comes. And, but there's, there's something there. I mean, I think, I think we live in the age where everybody wants everything immediate and we want now it's, it's the, it's that constant kind of, um, you know, it's this addiction of, of kind of, uh, immediacy. And, uh, so it's, it's hard to fight it, but I think it's also a healthy perspective. Yeah. And I think there's something to, that almost makes it more appropriate, especially with poetry to take that step back and say, okay, let's wait, let's wait a second. Let's sit with these words. Let's, let's wait for them to come and let's do something genuinely, you know, valuable to a reader because I think for a lot of people the image of poetry is people who are really focusing on each and every single word and it's hard when you're trying to pump out publication after publication to give every word its due time right and and to really focus on it 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah, and and that's why I think and another side of it too is is publish or sorry writing as a career. I mean that's that's where maybe it makes it difficult. And I never really thought about that because you know if that's your kind of your career and that's that's kind of where you've aligned yourself, then it it can be challenging because you probably do feel the immediacy yeah. on so many other levels. Not just you know trying to you know pick apart and find which word works and you know you need to give time and space, but also you realize hey wait I need to put food on the table and totally that's 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 challenging. So I guess in some ways I kind of I come from a, a very privileged perspective where it's not it's not my it's not my job, it's not my vocation. As much as I'd love to be a full-time writer, I, I've, I've kind of acknowledged the realities that it, it's just not feasible for the kind of lifestyle I'd like to have. Right, yeah, yeah. that totally makes sense. Um, if it's okay, mm-hmm. would I be able to get you to read another piece for us? Sure, yeah, of course. Amazing. This time from your book. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I was just about to read from, from Wade's again. Although <laughs> that's a fantastic, I just, whatever that was, that was awesome. I, uh, I, I have read of Wade stuff before, and he's, he's a fantastic writer and mentor to a lot of young writers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this piece is called uh, Pas de Deux, and uh, I will sort of like just um, uh, shamelessly promote, or not promote, or brag a little bit. Uh, this is riding on the, uh, the, uh, the public transit system in Vancouver as we speak, so it's part of the... Um, uh, poetry in transit that oh transit does yeah so. okay uh i gotta cut you off before you start reading this that's like the coolest thing you can do as a poet i think yeah i think that's up there the amount of times i've been on a bus and looked up and been like oh that's a poem that's a poem from this person and like that's the coolest moment so way to go i think that's the ultimate honor as a vancouver writer is yeah. to be <laughs> published yeah. on a bus here and and i think it is it's funny i mean like there are lots of there's tons of awards and stuff out there but i thought it was really like i was i was overjoyed like my my publisher said hey do you have any pieces there's like this um poetry and trans i'm like yeah i know poetry and trans like, yeah yeah so i <laughs> i was like i was i thought really long and hard which two pieces and the piece that i thought was going to get in wasn't accepted but the other one it was so i'm like thank goodness i just like they asked for two and i said okay maybe this one um because yeah it's, it's such an honor um and uh it, it's very cool it's part of like the you know the the, the space that you know you know that, that people are occupying all the time and it's what, yeah. what, what better way and so yeah i, I mean know. your words are literally all over vancouver yeah <laughs> literally yeah yeah, yeah. love that, it that's right. kind of cool um so this is called pas de deux Girl knows her worth weighs more than her weight, knows the worth of her weight is more than a boy, is beyond what a boy thinks about her weight, and whether she's too weighty or not weighty enough, according to boy. Girl wonders whether boy is worth the weight, or the weight that boy wants is worth her weighing, is worth wanting and weighing that want is even worth having a boy who weighs his want in weight. Boy bulked balks at other boys boys unlike other boys boys who like other boys bulked boy blossoms blindly into bullying barking at boys black or otherwise shouts bruises to boys otherwise otherwise shouts to have his barking heard hard to hear voices of other boys bruised boys unlike other boys boys who like other boys and boys black or otherwise. Very cool. That was one of my favorites too when I read the book. So that was that was really cool to get a live reading. Um, what a what a cool. I mean, just playing with the sound of bulk and black and boys and all of these things. Very cool. Yeah. And in, in this poem, and so cleverly done. And bulk as well. The the two spellings of bulk, right? 
um yeah yeah bulk, bulk and, and bulk yeah, yeah very the, cool yeah so i was playing with a lot of words and and that was a f- that was an interesting that was probably the quickest one of the quickest poems i wrote really which is which is surprising to me yeah and i think it it's kind of rest- not restores my faith in anything but um it it really kind of for me it it was exciting because um i was always attracted to lyrical poetry and i, I sometimes i find that when i'm stuck i don't like i don't have it that kind of and maybe it's because I have lost that lyrical element. And so um, when you, but our minds are so wired to that, that lyrical element of poetry. And that's why I think it's, it's so wonderful because it's so connected to, to song and to, and to, to writing um, musical lyrics. And that one just kind of came because I was, I had this idea, but I had to like find all the collection of words that kind of came along with it. And once I established that, those words, they kind of just kind of all kind of, formed ideas and impressions and this came out very cool yeah really really cool poem um you 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 mentioned that a lot of it or at least maybe not this poem but a lot of your poetry too sometimes breaking away from lyrical poetry sometimes leaning on lyrical poetry what uh what do you prefer to read do you do you have anything that you're trying to read specifically or are you kind of like a general poetry reader yeah yeah i'm a very like i read i read uh, i had this conversation with with eduardo so like um I read a lot of American poetry. I like a lot of contemporary American poetry. Um, I would say that if you if you are uh, a black woman in America that's writing, I you're you're the first on my list to read. Uh, I love I love um, American writers in general. Just seem to what really appeals to me is that they're willing to go and experiment with form. They're experimenting with concepts and ideas that seem to that seem to I not always. I don't always find in the candlelit um, scene. I find that unfortunately a candlelit scene um, historically has always been quite homogenous, not just from a, a perspective of, of who's writing, but also the style. And I think that now we have a lot more, um, a lot more variety of writers, which is wonderful, but I still think we need to push, push ourselves into, into form and content um, with regards to, to where our poems are going. So for me, I, I typically read, a lot of American writers because I find that, um, you know, they just, there are a lot of um, uh, just kind of variations of writing, but lyrics too. otherwise, I mean, I love, I love a lot of narrative poetry. Um, and when I write, I oftentimes kind of dabble in the two as, as you kind of articulated. So I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to say what, which one I kind of stay with, but you know, there's nothing like um, trying to write a lyric poem to kind of get you back on track. Yeah, totally. Very cool. Um, we're unfortunately coming towards the end of things. It's very sad. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It, it's horribly, horribly sad. But before I kick you out and run away myself, I'm wondering, do you have a question for our next guest? Yeah, this question, um, I thought about it because this was what Bob Dylan said about Neil Young's Heart of Gold. He said, cool. he said it was the Heart of Gold was the song that he should have written, <laughs> which is kind of like it. it's in some ways like talking about how much how confident and how like Bob knew how good he was. Yeah. But also like it was, you know, that's also the, one of the greatest compliments I'm sure you can get from, from a writer or, or for, or in that case, the uh, a musician. So my question is kind of like on those lines, um, what book is the book that you wish you would have written? That's such a good question. What would you answer that question with? Uh, you're turning it on me. I totally am. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, if it's 
If it's Canadian, I would say George Murray's Rush to Here, which came out with Nightwood. Awesome. Which I, I recommend. It was the one that kind of turned me onto poetry big time. So um, George Murray's one of my favorite Canadian poets. Uh, and if it's American, I would probably say um, Kiki Petrosino. She wrote a book called Hymns of the Black Terrific. And the kind of language and the way that she incorporates language in that book and the kind of style and way she forms poetry is just incredible and it's incredibly original. So either um, Hymns for the Black Terrific by Kiki Petrosino or uh, Rush to Hear, but I definitely encourage people to read Rush to Hear by George Murray. Sweet. Okay. Awesome. Well, Aiden, thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Um, Do you have anything you want to plug or any events going on that you're going to be at or things in the world sure yeah no i run a series out in new westminster called um poetry in the park and it runs every wednesday from 6 30 to 8 30 and i encourage uh everybody i know a lot of people in vancouver it's uh it's a bit of a trek to get out to new west but it's on the uh it's on the old um sky train line so no you, excuses no excuses might <laughs> yeah. even find aiden's poem on one of those bad boys <laughs> exactly so something to read on, on the way to, on the way so yeah um, that happens every wednesday july and august 6 30 in queen's park and uh, you can find that online at rclass.com Amazing. All right. Thanks so much for coming in. Going to throw it back to me giving a little outro. Thanks again to Aiden. Aiden Schaaf chatting with me, talking about his book, Short Histories of Light, and the way that he writes and teaches and reads. I thought it was a really cool interview because it's very rare that you get the chance to talk to somebody who teaches the work that they love and then spends time writing and emulating that work as well. And I think Aiden's writing it comes from a very personal place that you can read his book and get a real idea of who he is, but getting to meet him in person meant a lot to me. And he was nice enough to sign his book, so I was very excited about that. Uh, if you like what Aiden's doing, and I don't see why you wouldn't, you should follow him on Twitter. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, one of the best writers' Twitter handles on the whole internet. He is at allegorically. It's worth a follow. He's got tons of updates coming out about the Poetry in the Park initiative that he mentioned, which, by the way, I will be reading at on August 7th at 6.30. That's in Queen's Park in New Westminster every Wednesday until the end of the summer. Definitely worth checking out. Some of their poets are people that I want to have on the show that are just amazing writers. Uh, It's worth checking out. And in addition to that, if you like the show, if you like the interviews, we have a couple of really great guests coming up that we've already recorded the interviews for, so it's going to be worth subscribing to the show. You can do that really easily. We can make this official. All you got to do is hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. You can also rate and review the show, so I know what you do or don't like about the way that I interview people. Very personal to me, so please feel free to damage my self-esteem. And other than that, I don't have much else to say. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you with the next interview.